0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC.
1: The starting point in management of conflicts is actually the compliance risk in the business to sit down and to look at how your business works, where the conflicts might be. I mean, clearly, the starting point is between an advisor, for example, and the client.
0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher, I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Online and the GRC Professional Magazine. And today we have Carol Ferguson, who's our strategic stakeholder and engagement consultant, and Naomi Burley, our managing director, with another special edition of looking at some of our basic obligations and sort of what you need to know, what you need to be paying attention to. So today we're talking about conflicts of interest. So I might just knock it over to Carol and Naomi. Um, Conflicts of interest, why is this important?
2: Um, This is important from our perspective because I think that obviously the Hain Royal Commission showed that they weren't adequately being handled and that um, for many organisations, they think that adequately sorting this stuff is having a register of conflicts or um, that they only happen at a director level or that they only occur in certain places in the organisation and they fail to observe when they have unconsciously set up an unintended conflict just in the structure of the way they run their business. For instance, remuneration policies. Um, so I invited Caroline because she's observed this across lots of organisations and to have a little bit of a look at of what they actually are um, and what they might look like in the real world.
1: Thank you for having me again. Um, and I hope that everybody finds this a little bit interesting. I do. Um, I guess that the problem is is that most people don't understand what management of conflicts actually means, or it's too hard. and And I certainly think that post the Royal Commission, most people are on notice of the fact that there are many types of conflicts that need to be eliminated, not just avoided or managed. Um, the law is is relatively benign. It just says that a For example, an AFSL holder has to have processes for adequately managing their conflicts of interest. And um, if you're a responsible entity, as an example, you have to prefer the interest of the members um, to to your own. And if if, if there is a conflict, then you have to prefer those interests clearly against those of the responsible entity. So, it's been an issue which has had a number of regulatory responses, Uh, ASIC in 2004 issued Regulatory Guide 181, which is about the management of conflicts, and then in 2018, they also did a review of advisors and the way that they managed their conflicts, and and it's clear that despite the clarity of the uh, Regulatory Guide 181, that many people are getting it wrong. And so this is, the aim of today is just to give you a few dot points, I guess, as to how it is that you can go forward and in the consideration of the management of conflicts within your business.
2: Mm. I guess my observation would be that a lot of the getting it wrong is um, not even adequately assessing the conflict existing in yes. the first place. Yeah, and, and look, the starting point
1: in management of conflicts is actually – for compliance risk in the business to sit down and to look at how your business works. Where the conflicts might be, I mean clearly the starting point is between an advisor, for example, and the client, but but they can become more nuanced and it can be about things such as when you're putting together say a master fund and you've got a variety of investment managers, how that list is put together, who gets to be first on the list of, of available funds and, and the processes in which that choice is undertaken. So, for instance, do you pay to get higher up the list than a, um, another fund manager? Are there entertainment options that are given to, to you that may not go to other people? And, and those sorts of things, which, which are an inherent basis for, for conflicts arising within a business. Um, A simple example of it is, so a licensee is putting together a new product, so um, the licensee has an interest in encouraging clients to invest in in the higher risk products that result in higher commissions that are payable to their advisors. But that conflict is inconsistent with the client's personal desires, potentially, to have a lower risk product. And so, in the in the sales of that product, it's really important that both sides, both the investment, ma- both the licensee and the client, are aware of where the individual conflicts lie.
2: Okay. So, is it enough then to just say to a client, for instance, "By the way, I get a kickback for you purchasing this particular product," or does it need to be more in depth than that? Because my personal take in on that is that. Um, the client quite often that doesn't give them a picture of how much that might have influenced your advice in the first place. Yeah.
1: It, part of Hain was to focus on on that sales process and it's clear that some of the financial services guides that are given to clients are clearly inadequate in how they disclose um, the conflicts between the advisor and the client and the obligation is to both manage or avoid um, certain conflicts. So that, that Hain is of the view that most sales con- conflicts should be eliminated. That's a fairly strong view. Up until recently, there was always a view that you could manage those by disclosure. But it's now apparent that that um, regulation is erring on the side of greater controls over the, the disclosure process to the extent that you actually cannot do certain things. Whereas before, there was never a prescriptive list of what you could and couldn't do, and it was up to an individual licensee to determine which conflicts were okay and which weren't, and the processes that they had in place to, to manage them. But nowadays, a, con- a licensee, who allows um, trail commission, as an example, within their product, is looking at, at a fa- potential failure for managing of their conflicts of interest.
2: Okay, so they've upped the ante a little bit recently yep. and I guess that this then provides an opportunity for um, compliance and risk managers in organisations to go back and review the landscape again, yes. make sure that products are being offered in um, the best interest of the clients and in ways that, that you can actually manage the
1: conflict. That's right. and And look, it's... The conflicts may not even be transparent to the client, so that they can be, as I said, conflicts about the way that you conduct your business. So the very first thing is sit down with the business and with your sales force and risk and and have a conversation about starting from go to woe, what are the conflicts in our business? How do we manage our business? Do we get kickbacks from people? Do we get discounts from people? Um, what are our policies in relation to gifts and entertainment? I mean, that's a classic one. It wasn't so long ago that most people would say that a gift under, two, uh, under $200 was an acceptable um, level to, to pitch your gift and entertainment policy. Nowadays, a gift, a lot of firms have moved to no, no gifts or alternatively gifts under $50. And the reason is, is the perception by the clients that you're actually in being influenced to make decisions is too great.
2: Or even the clients don't have visibility on that kind of conflict. That's right. Because you certainly wouldn't be declaring that kind of thing to your client. Yeah. You might only be declaring it in relation to the product that you've given them advice on.
1: And, and you know, when people are wanting shorter PDSs or product disclosure statements, FSGs are, are the place where where this type of information should be in there, but unfortunately getting a client to read an FSG can be a really difficult thing in itself. And so the conversation with with clients needs to be nuanced as well. So you're not just looking at disclosure in the written form, but ensuring that, that potentially you read out to a client certain information about how the product operates. As an example, there are some products which are sold over the phone, and at the end of the sales process, there is a stop point where they'll say, we're now going to read out to you uh, a document in relation to the sales process. And in that um, document, which is a pre-recorded text, they will include
2: information about potential conflicts. Do you find that even in the business though, there will be a lot of people down at the operational level who, couldn't even identify a conflict.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think it's because people like to think that they conduct their business honestly and fairly. I mean, if, if that's the efficient, honest and fair obligation within your licence, and, and people don't like to think that they're um, ripping off their clients or um, behaving in a way which is, which is inappropriate. But what they're not doing is looking at the landscape in which that product is generated it has been um, created, nor the the actual external relationships between the licensee as re or trustee of the fund and various suppliers and and those arrangements can actually be quite powerful in some of the kickbacks that are potentially there okay
2: and you know Again, going back to the, the basics of a conflict, um, it's not even just about a remuneration model or gifts or something quite that material. It can, it, be, it can be relational, it can be anything that affects an interest or your decision-making process. Yeah,
1: well, one of the things, as an example, is the hiring and firing of staff, or hiring in particular. So one of the things that you don't want to do is to to have a policy where people can hire members of somebody's family without them going into an open market to determine that that person actually has the skills and expertise for a particular role mm. and that conflict is something which which is relevant to how a um, particular um, operation could could work so taking it out of the financial services sector and looking at the not-for-profit sector one of the key points for the administration of charities as an example is that there is um, uh, there are arm's length um, transactions between the charity and any staff that are there so you're not looking at somebody who's coming on board just because they happen to be the nephew or the niece or whatever of the person who is the CEO and that's an example of how conflicts of interest can actually have a broader remit than people consider
2: mm. Well look Thank you, Carol. I think um, there's certainly a part B to this because the first step is going back and having a review and seeing where these things might exist in your organisation where they're a little bit less obvious and more subtle, Um, especially when that conversation around financial products, for instance, has all been around, well, everyone offers a commission. So it's all an even playing field, but some offer more than others. Some are... You know, are punting their their product, which is higher risk versus others. So it's getting back down to basics: is the product design is it being sold to whoever it is, and um, yeah. stepping away from the personal. It's not personal. It is if you had someone else in your role, would you be comfortable for them to have that conversation with your grandmother? Yes. Um, the
1: barbecue test.
2: Yes, yeah. the barbecue test, mm. and then we get into the whole complexity around managing it. So if you're gonna allow it to exist, what do you need to put in place to manage it? Yes, and, and it,
1: you know, I guess it, as we've said, the starting point is to list what you have. Going forward, we'll talk about what adequacy means and some ways of, of, of um, managing those conflicts, i.e. disclose, avoid, manage, and, and in circumstances in which you might want to choose one versus the other. Mm. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for coming. Um, I hope many listeners will be looking forward to the part B of this discussion. This podcast was a production of the Governance, Risk and Compliance Institute. And the music was produced by Rob Neary.